Hi everyone, cool. welcome to Journal's Ex-Lawyer episode 11 in season 2. Today we're welcomed by Freni Patel from India. Hi Freni. Hi Freni. Hi Glenn, hi Leo, how are you guys doing? Really good. Yes, um, so uh, before we start uh, the podcast, uh, can you describe your education background and job history so that our listeners can get a little uh, info about your background. Sure. Um, so I was born and brought up in Hong Kong and uh, majority of my schooling has taken place in the island city, uh, which then uh, was under British rule, not Chinese rule. Um, in fact, I actually have started my journalistic career in Hong Kong um, right from my school days. Uh, I was then heading a local newspaper meant for students um, and I still remember and of course I was also writing for some of the publications. I still remember an article I wrote for the Hong Kong leading um, English newspaper South China Morning Post um, when I was I think um, I don't know 14, 14, 15 years old. Um, right after I finished school, I joined a local lifestyle magazine and I was writing about various subject matters, uh, right from the history of a piano to the property market to uh, wedding customs around the world, especially Chinese customs and whatnot. But I took to business and financial journalism after I finished my master's in economics and politics, which incidentally I did in India. Uh, I joined three lo- different local financial papers. I was heading their corporate bureau in some, I was heading their banking bureau in another. And that was before I joined the International Newswire um, that decided to set up operations in Asia back in 2005. Um, that publication still uh, was and still is a very niche publication um, and has over the past uh, 15 years expanded its coverage area. So when I joined in 2005, September, I was um, the financial editor and I was focusing on corporate strategy that was linked to mergers and acquisitions, IPOs, and other means of fundraising. Later, I looked after a product that was focused on live deals and their key audience were hedge funds. Now, when it comes to hedge funds, they basically want to know where, because they have the skin in the game, so they want to know where the deal is headed. So essentially, they would want to know, you know, where the deal is going to face any regulatory issues or whether the shareholder approval is going to come through or not. And it's only the last six, uh, sorry, last eight years that I've been focusing more on the regulatory side across competition law, uh, antitrust, data privacy and cybersecurity. So I think that's a little brief about me and uh, my um, work profile. Um, I'm interested in your background. Uh, you know, the your you spend some of your time in Hong Kong. That's for mm-hmm. sure. And how has that helped you in in your career thus far? Does do you speak Cantonese? Oh yes, and, I'm fluent in Cantonese, and I would say it has helped me tremendously. Um, I'll give you one example. Um, So I went to one of the leading Hong Kong schools. Uh, I went to the Anglo-Chinese school, not to any private school. And having gone to that school, one of the most, impre- no, it is, an, it is an, one of those leading schools. A um, lot of 
lot of in a lot of elite people i don't mean i mean like you know regulators and stuff they also come from those kind of schools and i was finding it difficult to get in touch with one particular person getting in touch you know getting through to the person and uh i just mentioned that oh we went to the same school and immediately the doors opened and that person and i are very good friends i mean it's been very easy for me now to communicate with her as a result of my uh, schooling background being in the, being from that particular elite school so i would say yes my hong kong experience has helped a lot um also being born and brought up in hong kong i'm a hong kong resident by birth so going up and down does make it it is very easy i don't need a visa or anything uh that has helped cantonese of course is another plus point makes it easier in hong kong you know when you know the local languages it's in any in any other part of the world you know if you know the local languages it makes it much easier to communicate with people and you know people do are are more friendly that way you know when you know the language so yeah, i mean, well, uh, was covering yeah sorry last time i visited hong kong was in 2018 where i learned uh cantonese only one word that i still remember until today is I'm going that can be applied ah, for right. <laughs> thank you <laughs> right yes well the thing is i went to the local school and you know there were a lot of foreign students in that local school as well uh, like myself but uh, not many of them spoke cantonese and then you know you tend to be a little you know if you don't speak the language it doesn't really help to be very honest you know in in sense that you know people then there's a little distance between the rest of the rest of the students but having you know been in that same school from primary and completed my secondary there 13 years it really helped build friendship friendship that i still have kept today so yes i think hong kong has played a very important role in my life mm-hmm. okay so friendly uh, as uh, as we saw in your linkedin that you are an asia editor of your national case and uh, i mean it means that you have a uh, you you manage a reporter uh, you just have a uh, manage a reporter i mean how many reporters do you supervise based on your experience and where are they based so i work with a team of reporters across asia pacific right from japan korea hong kong and southeast asia i've been doing this since i was working with a number i mean with a you know within this company we had a couple of different products and i've been doing it right from the very start whether i've been managing them as a team or whether i've been working with them very closely i also work quite a lot with the european and the american team as well so it's you know it is across the board you know there is no demarcation as such so yeah the reporters are from japan korea southeast asia australia new zealand uh, not to mention india as well so uh during this pandemic situation uh where people all around the world should work uh from their home so it means that based on your experience you should be uh, familiar with this kind of working style i mean how can you manage your team across asia where these people are yeah we we we, uh, we almost uh, uh never met each other right so how mm-hmm. you can manage this uh team across asia oh uh, that's actually a very good question and i think uh, my having managed the team pre pandemic has uh-huh. helped post pandemic as well i think one of the major uh, requirements of managing a team is to know what's happening in the respective geographies you know 
uh, of course, you know, having reporters on the ground, you know, you expect the reporters to know everything. And of course they do, you know, they're the ones who are writing everything. They're the ones who are communicating with their respective regulators or sources. But at the end of the day, as an editor, you just can't afford to be clueless, right? You must know, you know, what's happening um, in that particular geography, what the implications are and whatnot. So, because as a team leader, you must identify possible story ideas and without knowing or understanding the respective jurisdiction, uh, this may not necessarily be possible. So I think one of the major things that I do in terms of, you know, managing the team is reading. I read about, um, I kind of can't identify what number of publications I read, but I read a lot about what's happening across Asia, what's happening in different parts of other, other parts of the world as well. Um, at the same time, I also try to understand the implication because end of the day, regulations, say competition law or data privacy in one part of the world is the same as in any other part of the world. You know, they, they essentially laws in Asia um, are taken from Europe. You know, they, many of many Asian jurisdictions follow in the European footsteps. So any changes that take place in Europe uh, could have implications in Asia as well. Say data privacy, competition law, you know, if the competition regulator is doing something in Europe, uh, Asian regulators do tend to pick up um, similar stance as well. So reading, talking to people, but I would say aside from those two aspects, I think the most important aspect uh, is to listen, to listen to the reporters who being on the ground uh, have a better idea of the local situation and an editor's job is not to dictate, but rather to help the reporters to grow. And that's only possible if you listen. Um, you know, one person cannot know everything in the world. That's what I always believe in. Yeah. And for any, uh, as a lawyer myself, uh, you know, even dealing with one jurisdiction, mm-hmm. Indonesian jurisdiction, it's been difficult for me to follow, uh, you know, some of the fast changing regulations uh, happening almost every day uh, especially you know related to corporate laws also regarding data privacy competition laws these kinds of things are changing uh, very fast and i don't know how you manage to uh, you know uh, get your head around these uh, laws in in many different places even i myself as a lawyer in one jurisdiction i'm having difficulties to, to uh, <laughs> yeah to understand even laws in one jurisdiction and yeah you 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 don't have any law degree do you and no um, no Uh, that's a very good question because actually i was i got into the hong kong university um to take law i mean in the sense i got i I got um i got accepted for that but i saw those huge books i don't know how you manage those huge books and i decided no thank you was not like it was just not my cup of tea so no i don't have a law degree but on hindsight, I really wish I did because I really, really enjoy law. I really enjoy the subject matter. I think maybe because I don't do, you know, the old-fashioned law. That's what I like to say. I, I do more interesting law, like competition law, data privacy. This, this so much. It's just so interesting, you know. And uh, I guess your question is how I manage. Is basically, as I said in the beginning, that reading and talking to people is how I've been able to overcome that challenge. Uh, I read a lot. There's so many legal publications. Uh, Lexology is one I really go to every day, uh, where you get to know what's happening across the globe. Uh, I also talk to a lot of my sources. 
And I think one of the major plus point in what has what has happened in my case is that I attend a lot of conferences, or rather, I should say, I attended a lot of conferences uh, pre-pandemic. And in these conferences, you have regulators from around the world to attend. You got lawyers from around the world to attend, and I talked to them. Uh, I'm, I, those are my sources, basically. And I learned quite a lot from them. And then one, you would also maybe might ask that why would they talk to me? So that's one other thing I like to say is that you know our publication being a global publication, it actually helps because when you read up what's happening in say uh, Asia or in other parts of Asia, and then you then the then whomever you meet would like to know what's happening in that particular part. Sharing of information is what keeps those conversations going. And that has really helped a lot. You know, if I talk to a regulator, I don't feel afraid that you know I they would my I, they might they may not talk to me. They would, I would think, because basically I also have something to share. I think that's one of the most important things a reporter must have. That you know, you must have enough knowledge that a person would talk to you, and that's only through reading and talking to people. And Franny, um, you must have known that. Uh... The reason why I got in touch with Leo the first time was because he interviewed me for something uh, related to data privacy, uh-huh. and <laughs> I know that uh, the niche publication that you and and Leo were working on, uh, you know, and, and Leo is working on, uh, relates very you know leans heavily on data protection, and you know I want to have uh, some information from you. What do you think, you know, as a reporter? What do you think of um, the Indonesian, or at least uh, what's happening in Asia Pacific regarding data privacy regulations? Do you think it's uh, good enough? Are we heading to the right direction? Uh, do you think that you know copying GDPR is a good idea in a way, or should we find another kind of think- on GDPR not to copy most of the provisions in the GDPR? Do you have any thoughts on that? So I think that uh, essentially data privacy in Asia took off because of GDPR. Uh, Europe is the one that started data privacy in this formal as formal sense, um, because prior US is still you know US is still learning, and it has got statewide laws, not glo- not not universal US laws. So GDPR took place, and the thing is that. Whatever happens, um, you know, like a company which has any operations or linkage to Europe would be impacted, and that's why the Asian jurisdictions took, you know, took sense to, you know, they had to look into this data privacy issue, and more so today because you know we're all working from home and it's so easy, you know, in that sense to get, you know, impacted by it. Everybody's online, you know, everyone, everyone works online these days as well. So whether or not we should you know, mirror GDPR uh, or not, I think it depends on each country, each jurisdiction. But I would say like the Philippines, for example, <coughs> sorry, they do mirror GDPR in, I think, majority. Yeah, I think I would say about 95%, they do mirror GDPR. But other countries like, say, India, Indonesia, I think they're trying to find their own way around it because, and I think countries should try and find their own ways. Because end of the day, you know, each jurisdiction has a different development curve, and you just can't one 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 size doesn't you know fit all. End of the day, uh, many of the countries in Asia are developing, so you know what may be okay for one country may not necessarily be okay for another. 
But yes, I would still say that, you know, GDPR gives the kind of basic and, you know, going around that or trying to, um, you know, use that as the basic model and then fit in whatever changes you want is something that's good. But at the same time, there are other jurisdictions, India, for example, they are looking into um, other aspects which could actually uh, impact GDPR in the sense that, you know, um, I don't want to get into too many details, technical details, but you know, there, there are certain things that, you know, we should look into or discuss. Uh, not necessarily it could be right or wrong, but it also is a political issue. I think it's more politics that is dictating those changes in certain jurisdictions, uh, like India, for example, uh, and not so much economics or not so much social. I hope that helps. Yes, yes. You? Yeah. So, Franny, uh, you mentioned earlier that you read a lot, particularly exology that I also, also subscribe to. And uh, you talk a lot exchanging information with many sources. So, have you ever like feel like overwhelmed with what you did? I mean, wow, that's kind of... Yeah, for me, even for me, uh, working for one day, talking with regulatory, talking with the lawyer, and also updating by reading some uh, a new uh, a law development if if, if, if it's perhaps uh, issued. Have you ever like being overwhelmed? Because even myself in Indonesia feel a bit, uh, seems a lot of thing to do to gain a lot of an exchange information. How do you think? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I agree that sometimes it is a bit too much, especially when I look after a team. And at the same time, I also do coverage areas. I do cover areas where we don't have reporters, so it can be quite overwhelming. I think one of the things that motivates me uh, at that point in time are my team of reporters um, and also my sources. Because, you know, many times I, I travel quite a lot. Or I, sorry, I should, I should say I used to travel quite a lot. And when you're traveling quite a lot, you don't necessarily know what's happening every every two, you know, every day, right? Because you can't be reading, attending conferences, and doing everything. Uh, but thanks to WhatsApp, uh, to be very honest, uh, many of my sources do get in touch with me and tell me, okay, this is what's happening, and that's what's happening, and that kind of like motivates me. You know, they they give me uh, an insight as to what's happening, and then I and I also I think. I've always been under pressure to work. That actually kind of like motivates me to work. I cannot work when there are no challenges. I cannot work when I'm in my comfort zone. So being challenged is one way that motivates me. My reporters, of course, motivate me as well because I feel that if I'm not working, my reporters would also, you know, feel, no, I don't know. That That's what I feel that, you know, my reporters, uh, being motivated to work, I should also be working, you know, to ensure that they are also doing well. And of course, as I said, my sources, uh, and of course, many of my sources are our subscribers. So I always feel that, you know, if we're not writing stories, then what are our subscribers going to read, right? Um, mm. Just take the example of the pandemic, okay? So during the pandemic, a lot of jurisdictions um, came to a standstill. And the lockdown took place in a number of jurisdictions, Indonesia, India, uh, across the board, you know, Hong Kong. Well, many regulators have sent out press releases to say they're not working or, you know, stop operations have come to a standstill in certain aspects one way or the other. 
but end of the day a journalist you know, news goes on right you just can't say okay nothing is working no one is working so you can't file stories and that's when i felt that the best way to go around it um was to file joint copies because what happens in one jurisdiction is going to happen in another jurisdiction right i mean um it is going to be the same thing right end of the day and to motivate the team at that point in time the best way i thought was you know teamwork um which is actually you know what i really believe in teamwork is actually what helps right it 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 helps in training it helps in output it helps when a person is down i always believe in teamwork and that also helps me yeah i agree with you and these sources yeah i've i ever have experience to that yeah some of my my friends uh lawyer like glen suddenly text me in whatsapp elio there is something new about this 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 and sometimes i feel like uh i always can get a lead from my unexpected sources suddenly uh, in, in the early morning text me tell me something new tell me about uh uh the case they are uh, handling on so yeah i feel that uh kind of same experience too so well um, when 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 you when when your reporters feel like uh a bit demotivated they yeah perhaps they feel like oh, okay i'm working alone here in let's say indonesia i have no office i have no boss here i have no my friend here sometimes it feel like working lonely without someone to talk with how do you uh, motivate this kind of reporter who feel like a lot of feel lonely um that, that that has actually happened a number of times you know um many a times it's not necessarily that they don't work in the office they might be working in an office but the thing is that our product being so niche uh they're not enough people in that office itself uh which are working on that product so it's not necessarily the office environment but as much i think more importantly it's it's communication so i have i do tend to communicate a lot or i try to whenever i can Uh many a times reporters have just, you know, messaged me to say, you know, can you call me? And then I know that something is going wrong or they're not feeling, you know, confident or whatever. And uh honestly, it's again, you know, thanks to WhatsApp, uh, we can just pick up the phone and talk to each other across the miles. That helps. Uh, another thing I remember was one reporter I had a long time ago um who was just not confident, was always diffident that, you know, she couldn't do it. And I kept telling her no you just think positively you think you can do it and believe me or not she actually had this statement on her screen on her you know screen saver saying I can do it I can do it and she did she did she did really well uh, ultimately she did leave ours she did leave and join another publication and she's doing very well then I remember there was one other reporter based in Korea um he was really good you know he was a very good reporter he got got good sources he good stories but you know all journalists have a burnout you know when you got when you under so much pressure and you've done so much and suddenly you wake up in the morning and say oh my god what should i do today that's like a burnout so that person asked for some time off which i did give you know end of the day as i said you know the most important thing is to listen you know pushing someone you know to do work work every day you know meet this quota and whatever end of the day doesn't really help instead giving them you know enough guidance or you know listening to them working as a team as i mentioned earlier you know that's what we did during the pandemic the initial days of the pandemic i believe that really helps a lot 
Of course, it'd be great to meet with everybody every time, but you know, there is currently the travel ban, so we can't. So I think communication is the only way forward at this point in time. And of course, as I said, teamwork. And Franny, um, have you ever had any uh, qualms about, you know, having all of your work uh, across Asia uh, being communicated across the board using WhatsApp, Zoom, Microsoft Teams, and emails? Um, have you ever had any issues regarding privacy? Um, I mean, perhaps you're not sure that these information that are so confidential to be kept secret through these communication channels. Have you ever had any doubts as to whether these uh, communication channels are secure enough? Glenn, that's a really good question. Um, I have really, really not thought into that aspect, but then there are certain channels which I would not use. I don't want to name them, sorry, on this call. But there's certain channels I would not use if it is something confidential, that's for sure. I think um, Zoom is one of the aspects, because we've written quite a bit about Zoom, right? And everybody knows about Zoom. So that's one channel I'm a little um, concerned about. I, I know a lot of people use Zoom today. I mean, even students use Zoom. Schooling takes place over Zoom, but those are not confidential issues, right? But of course, there are certain channels I would not use when it's confidential stuff. Um, I've never checked about WhatsApp, to be very honest with you, because I do use WhatsApp all the time. So, um, but at the same time, um, not looking at the uh, data privacy side, I would still say that these are the kind of channels which have really helped us today, right? I mean. If we didn't have all these channels today, what would we have done? You know, working from home, it'd be impossible if we didn't have these channels. If we didn't have video conferencing, what would we have done? How would we have covered other jurisdictions? How would conferences have taken place, you know? So I think there's a plus and minus to both sides. So, yeah, I mean, as I said, like, you know, okay, I'll give an example of online conferences. Like before we used to attend conferences, you know, physically, now we can't. Um, you know, it's, it's not a great thing because end of the day, I prefer doing physical conferences because you meet the sources face to face. Here you can't meet the sources, you just have to listen to what they say. And many times regulators in particular, they don't say very much, they just state what is in public domain. So that doesn't really, you know, add much value to the story. In the past, when they used to do that in the physical conferences, we used to go up to them and ask them more questions. Now we really can't, obviously. We can't follow up with questions, mind you, we do. But it's not as easy as it was in the earlier days. But at the same time, what has helped in this case is that, you know, because everything is on video chat, video conferencing, um, more reporters can actually attend these conferences. And that kind of like helps because that becomes a platform for training reporters um, you know, how to cover conferences. So tomorrow, maybe in a couple of years time when those physical conferences take place again, um, the team of reporters would do far better than what they could probably do today. So uh, funny, uh, you mentioned that you manage a team, manage a team where reporters based in several countries in Asia and also Southeast Asia. Do you think that uh, kind of different culture that brought by the reporters 
is a part of your challenge do you feel that uh, like for example in yeah surely indonesia has a different culture with india philippines hong kong or japanese uh, uh, everyone has a different culture do you think that is kind of a uh, uh, part of an uh, obstacle for you it's kind of problem for you different culture um no actually i love culture i mean i, I grew up in a culture right I, i didn't grow up with my own people right uh, i grew up in hong kong so that's a different culture altogether um then i don't have much of a background about india when i came to india that, that different culture again i don't see anything wrong in the culture part of it at all it, it, it's not a challenge it's not something that i would have a problem with on the country i enjoy it you know i enjoy learning about different cultures and everything else because end of the day um i think culture is part of um the economy right i mean not everything is identical from one economy to the other and culture is a big part of that economy so i don't see that as a problem area and i i, I actually like it i mean different culture different cuisines different speak you know different languages I think it all adds up and different people they they think differently right some people can be more conservative some people can be more friendly like you know for example I'll give you an example in India so I was born and brought up in Hong Kong as I said and Chinese people are a little on the conservative side they're a little on the reserved side if you go to see uh they're very friendly once you become friends with them you know they're very very friendly but they're not so outgoing right But when I came to India for the first time, I met a different set of people because Indians are very friendly. I mean, oh, one can say they're so friendly that you'd be shocked, you know, in that sense. Leo, you've also been here in India. Maybe you also would have seen that. So they're so friendly. They're just so different from the Chinese, which I really like, you know. You don't have to be friends and they're still friendly with you. So, no, I wouldn't say that culture's ever been uh, a problem area for me. I I really enjoy it. I like meeting people from different parts of the world. It actually adds value to my travels as well. Prani, before we conclude this episode, uh do you have anything to say to our listeners uh regarding, you know, um tips or tricks to manage a team located you know across asia like yourself uh having to face uh reporters or teammates or colleagues from many different cultures i would say that you know um don't think that you know everything you know you should always leave room enough room more than enough room to listen because each country is different each style of writing is different i mean in particular geographies You just can't say whatever happens in one part of the world should be, you know, replicated in another part of the world. And I know there are editors who think that way, and I don't think that's the right way of doing things. You need to be open enough to understand that each market is different. And one of the only ways to do so is to listen and also to read. Honestly speaking, reading and talking to people from different markets. So I aside from uh, leading a team of journalists, I also um, meet up with subscribers, I meet up with sources. I worked quite closely with the marketing team and that gave me more insight as to what different jurisdictions wanted from our coverage area. So what we do in one part of the world is not necessarily what we do in another part of the world and that's all based on what our subscribers or what um, people have told us. 
so i think as i said you know to be open minded listen read i think those are the most important qualifications of a good editor awesome awesome thank you thank you for these awesome tips i'm sure that um, not just uh, editors and reporters are going to benefit from this episode i'm sure that lawyers or any other professions would also benefit from these tips uh, because we are also dealing with you know working with teams uh, using zoom or uh, any other communication channels online we're working from home uh, and we're not sure whether this pandemic will go away very soon yes. because we we are not sure when the vaccine will effectively be rolled out and and be effective uh, as a vaccine right so uh, i think this episode uh, is truly um timely and i'm sure that uh, this episode will inspire many others to uh, like what you said uh, you know to be listening uh, embracing uh, different cultures embracing uh, differences not to impose one standard you know across the board uh, i think that's that's the conclusion for today's episode for journal sex lawyer thank you freni patel from india and thank you leo my co-host And that's it. Um, we'll see you on the next episode of Journal Sex Lawyer. Bye bye, everyone. Bye bye. Thank you so much. Thank bye. you.